Our second reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1. I will read verse 39 through 55. Hear the word of God. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his, of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, during this season of Advent, I pray that you would continue to awaken us to the mystery and to the wonder of your incarnation. Lord, I pray that we would be fully aware of the gulf that exists between this created order and you, the creator, and that we would wonder that you would come from where you are to be here with us because of your abiding love for your people, because of your mercy for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving up the privileges of heaven to spend time with us and to know our lives in an intimate way, to live in our skin. We thank you for taking on human flesh and we recognize that you are even embodied now. Lord Jesus, we pray this day that we would know you as Savior and as Shepherd. We pray that we wouldn't just know about you, but that we would hear the call of your voice and that we would respond to you as sheep do to their shepherd. Lord Jesus, you are the shepherd and you are the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, which is why we are here today and we sing your praise for you alone are worthy. Amen. Amen. Shepherds are part of the Christmas story. Angels appear to shepherds watching over their flocks at night. 
to announce the birth of a Savior in Bethlehem. Every Christmas tableau has shepherds gathered with the holy family around the manger. You can't have a Christmas pageant without children dressed in bathrobes, playing shepherds. In our imagination of the Christmas scene, we see the shepherds as simple, humble people, men who lived in the countryside and worked with their hands. They stand in contrast to the magi, who were city dwellers, who were wise and who were rich. Of course, there was room in the Christmas scene for the three wise men, for three kings who had traveled great distances with costly gifts. Jesus is, after all, King of Kings. But the angel's announcement to simple shepherds that the Savior was born, the presence of shepherds at the bedside of the Christ child, these are signs that the good news is not just for the rich and the powerful. The good news is for ordinary people. The good news is for people like us, too. You can't have Christmas without the shepherds. And on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent, I want to talk about a shepherd, not one of the shepherds who gathered around the manger. Rather, I want to talk about the shepherd who lay in the manger. I want to talk about Jesus, the good shepherd. The Bible uses many metaphors, many images for God. God, of course, is totally above us. He's beyond us. God exceeds anything that our imaginations can think of or that our reason can grasp. But God, in His revelation to us, uses images and metaphors to help us understand as best we can. God calls Himself Father, a relationship based in animal biology God calls himself king, a relationship based on human political arrangements. In the Bible, we hear that God is a potter, that God is a rock, that God is light, that God is love, that God is a warrior, that God is a peacemaker, that God is a vineyard owner, that God is a judge, that God is a husband. These are all human metaphors. They are human images And while the Bible is God's infallible, inerrant, and inspired word, God must speak a language that we can understand. He must adjust his speech to our capacity to hear. John Calvin, the 16th century Protestant reformer, developed this idea of divine accommodation or divine condescension to explain how the scriptures can both be 100% true while still talking about God as if he had arms and legs and ears and eyes. Calvin writes, such forms of speaking do not so much express exactly what God is like. Rather, they accommodate the knowledge of Him to our small ability to understand. To do this, God must condescend far beneath His lofty greatness. One of the images I love best for God is that God is our shepherd. Now, raise your hand if you own sheep. Raise your hand if you were raised on a sheep ranch. 
All right, so we're not so familiar with the ways of sheep and shepherds. So some basic things about sheep. Number one, they're stupid. Number two, they have no memory. And number three, they are very tasty. And that means there are predators on the prowl looking to eat them. Because sheep are an easy and tasty target. And all the time the sheep are just looking for grass and grass and more grass. I like the image of God as our shepherd because it also means that I must accept the image of me as a sheep. Not too smart. Very forgetful. A tasty morsel that the devil would love to devour. Our Old Testament reading this morning is a messianic prophecy from the prophet Micah. He's talking about the coming Messiah. And we hear the prophet say, He shall shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And the sheep shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Security and peace. That's what our shepherd offers us. That's what the shepherd offers his sheep. I want to talk about security and peace a little bit later, but before we do that, I want to talk, uh, I want to take you on a tour of scripture because this image of God as a shepherd of his people is in persistent image. It begins in Genesis and it runs all the way through the book of Revelation. Before we apply this metaphor, this image to Jesus, I want us to see how the Bible uses it in other places. And so we go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 48. We see Israel. You remember him. He's the grandson of Abraham. He's very old. He's nearly blind. And he's called in his son and grandsons, Joseph and uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And here's what we read. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh. And he blessed Joseph, saying, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd... All my life long, to this day, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In Abraham, God chose for himself a special people. In Abraham, God chose a flock that he would tend. God's covenantal promises are not just for Abraham, the father of the flock. It's also for the children in the flock. God's promises are not just to us. They are also to our children. God builds multi-generational families. We cannot say that we have been a successful church if our children are lost to the world. We sit here this morning in a church that was founded by God's people six generations ago. Abraham Lincoln had just been elected president. We were on the eve of a terrible war. Our first pastor, George Mingans, was a scoffer. He was a skeptic. He was a member of the Hellfire Club. 
And one day he would come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit at a tent revival that he had gone to to disrupt. He and his ruffian friends would go travel around to revival meetings to mock the preachers and to mock the sheep. Oh, those stupid Christians. They're so unsophisticated, these young men thought. And then when he was least expecting it, the Holy Ghost opened his eyes and he repented of his life and he was converted and he preached in this pulpit until he was called to preach to freed slaves in the South during the conduct of the war. And the gospel that converted our first pastor is the same gospel that converts us today. Outside of the sheepfold of the church, we are lost. There is no salvation outside of the church. Maybe we think we are clever and sophisticated, doing things our own way, going on our own paths. But the Bible says that our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion looking for sheep to devour. Outside of the fold of the church, outside of the protection of the family of God and God our shepherd... We are at risk. Inside, we have the protection and the security that comes. Outside, it's only a matter of time before Satan eats us alive. Israel comes to the end of his long life surrounded by his children and his grandchildren, and he declares, God has been my Shepherd all my life long to this day. What a wonderful way to live. I want to come to the end of my life and be able to confess that. (laughs) To be there with my kids and my grandkids. In God's security and in God's peace. Is God your shepherd? God is our shepherd, but God also calls and anoints individual people. To be his under-shepherds. To shepherd God's people in God's name. The kings and the judges over Israel were God's under-shepherds. They ruled in the name and in the authority of God. In 2 Samuel we read about David, the ancestor of Jesus, who is called both by God and also by the representative voice of God's people to be king, to be the shepherd Over his people. Here's what we read in 2 Samuel 5 verses 1 through 3. All the tribes of Israel came to David and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel. So David made a covenant with the elders of Israel at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. What I want you to see here is is that David served God's people in God's name as God's representative, and his relationship with God's people is a covenanted relationship. A covenant is a formal, solemn agreement between two parties like a like marriage vows god makes 
covenants with His people, and those called to shepherd His people also make covenants with His people. You need to have a covenanted relationship with your pastor and with the leadership of your church. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. For those of you who are new to Presbyterianism, I want you to see how the model of the call of David is the same as the model that we use for the call of a pastor in a church. Of course, the word pastor simply means shepherd. Uh, A pastor is called to a Presbyterian church. He receives the job of leading a Presbyterian church when there is a double calling. First, there's the call from God. And second, there's a call from the congregation, the people that he's going to serve. The call from God can only be heard internally by the pastor himself. When I graduated from Princeton Seminary, I received invitations to the pulpits of nine different churches. But I only felt called to this one. Now, the internal sense of call must be confirmed by an external call of the congregation. If I felt called to Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church, but the members here thought that I should be a plumber instead, then I wouldn't be in this pulpit. There must be an agreement between the internal call and the external call. God calls us internally, but we need to check that internal sense of call with the body of Christ, with the church. Sometimes it's just a personal feeling rather than truly a call from God. Sometimes we're fooled by our own emotions. And so we need to check that with the church itself. Notice that while David heard God's call, he didn't become king until that call was confirmed by the congregation of Israel through its elders. In the life of the church, there are times when an individual might feel called to a role in the church, but that call needs to be confirmed. We don't make those judgments privately. We don't make those on our own. When people follow their private sense of calling without checking with the body of Christ, things can get crazy. Things can go off the rails. If I insist that I am called to be a drummer, even though I have no rhythm, I will create disorder. In the body of Christ, my internal sense of call must be confirmed by an external call from the body of Christ. God is our shepherd, but he also calls individuals to be under shepherds to care for his people. Now, probably the most familiar place in Scripture where God is described as a shepherd is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff, of course, are tools that a shepherd uses. They keep the sheep walking where they need to walk. They're also used to beat off 
enemies that might come against the sheep that are used to keep the sheep safe. But notice that the path, the safe path, the path that can go even through the valley of the shadow of death, the safe path is a path of righteousness. A flock of sheep are always on the move. They are pilgrims. They don't stay put. They wander from place to place looking for grass and for water. And the shepherd is the one who guides them and guards them in their wanderings. Scripture describes for us a safe path. That's what we see in God's law. How many dangerous paths are there in the world? Well, I guess it's an infinite number. There are an infinite number of ways that you can be wrong. How many ways are there to be destroyed in the world? Lots of ways. People can be very inventive in finding ways to get themselves ruined. Scripture describes the safe path, the path of righteousness, the path that's laid out for us in the Bible. All of us know what the Bible says about how to live. Now, here's the truth. When we live according to God's law, we will be secure. I don't mean that nothing bad will happen to God's people. We live in a fallen world. We're surrounded by lots of trouble and evil. But what I am saying is is that if we follow God's law, we will not in any way contribute to our own trouble. And yes, most of our trouble is caused by ourselves. And even if we do have to suffer, in God's providence, God does allow His people to suffer. Even if we do have to suffer, we suffer with a clear conscience. We know that we've done things right. And there's a wonderful feeling of peace about that. There's nothing worse than a nagging conscience. There's nothing sweeter than knowing that We've done what's right and good, we, even if we don't have total control over what the results are going to be. Our calling as disciples of Christ is to obey Him and to trust Him with the results of that obedience. Now, part of being a sheep, I guess this is because they're stupid and have a short memory, part of being a sheep is, is that they get lost. It just They just do it. Uh, here's a little passage from Jeremiah 50. Uh, we read this. This is God speaking to his people. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have not led, their shepherds have led them astray. Turning them away on the mountain. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them. And their enemies have said, we're not guilty, for they sinned against the Lord. I don't know if you, do you remember that passage? I, I don't remember having read that passage before. That's a great little passage. We might need to preach to Jeremiah. This passage is an indictment of the leaders of God's people who have not done their job properly. Religious leaders, political leaders, who do not lead their people in the paths of righteousness. They lead their people astray. An important truth about a shepherd is, is that a shepherd cannot lead the sheep to a place that he himself was not willing to go. 
If a shepherd knows where a stream is, the shepherd has to go to the stream. If a shepherd knows where a good pasture is, the shepherd has to go to the pasture to lead the sheep in paths of righteousness. The shepherd himself must walk in a path of righteousness to lead the sheep to still waters. The shepherd must walk to the still waters. It's not enough to simply know the way and say, hey, you guys go that way. The shepherd has to go himself. To have an honest church, you have to have an honest pastor. To have an honest country, you need to elect honest leaders. If you want a church that is growing spiritually, you need to allow your pastor to grow spiritually. If you want a nation that is growing in righteousness, look for people who are growing in righteousness. The sheep follow the shepherd and will never get farther than the shepherd. When Israel had corrupt shepherds, the people became corrupt. When the people had righteous shepherds, the people became righteous. In the indictment of Jeremiah, the shepherds of Israel have lost their way. They have forgotten their fold, their safe home place. And the result is is that the enemy begins to eat the sheep. And I love the enemy here. I mean, I don't love him. I hate him. But he's funny. Because he says, you can't blame me for eating the sheep. Because you sinned against the Lord. The devil knows the score. Those who are outside of the fold are fair game. Let's be clear about that. If you are outside of the will of God, outside of the church of Jesus Christ, you are fair game. Ezekiel 34, just as part of being a shepherd means getting lost, so part of being a true shepherd is finding the lost sheep. Listen to God's promise to his people in Ezekiel chapter 34. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the people. I will gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them with good pasture. They shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Declares the Lord God, I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. I don't know what your experience of coming to Christ is. That's my experience. I was born into the fold. My parents were missionaries. I grew up hearing the gospel every day of my life. And then, woo, I became too clever for the fold. Okay? Those simple Christians. I know how to do it better. It's much cooler outside of the fold. All right? Thanks be to God, I was not devoured by the devil, but the Lord had to come looking for me. And he did, and he found me, and he brought me back. This prophecy from Ezekiel 
probably reminds you of Jesus' own description of himself there in John 10. I came that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. I lay down my life for my sheep. Okay, look. Shepherds lead and shepherds guard. But the good shepherd even gives up his life to preserve the life of his sheep. The good shepherd interposes himself between the danger and the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the shepherd that we find in the manger on Christmas morning. Jesus came into this world to be the good shepherd, to find you, and to lay down his life for you, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He took away those sins by dying for your sins. There was no other way to do it. He couldn't just say, oh, never mind about those sins. So here we are on the fourth Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season in which we prepare for the coming of Christmas. It's also the season that we think about the second coming of Christ. We think about his second advent. Jesus came once and he promised that he was coming back. In Matthew chapter 25, we have an interesting description of the second coming. It uses again the image of the shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people. One from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. And you know how the rest of that chapter reads. And you know what the eternal destination is. Of the sheep. And of the goats. Are you ready for that day? One day Jesus is going to show up. And the score is going to be tallied at that moment. There is no second chance afterward. There are some liars out there who developed a theology of second chance. It's not found in Scripture. The day is coming when Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. How do we know who the sheep are? Well, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. The sheep follow the shepherd. The goats, however, will be sent out of the way of God. How do we know that Jesus is our shepherd? If you were to go to a soccer match and you saw 22 people running around on the field 
and coaches shouting from the sidelines. You wouldn't have to see the jersey to know which team they belong to. Because you're going to answer the instructions of your coach. That's what team you belong to. Are you listening to the voice of Christ and are you being activated and moved in your actions by the voice of Christ? When he gives instructions, do you say, okay, that's what I'm going to do? If so, you're on team Jesus. You're part of his fold. If you know about Christ, if you have memorized all of the words of Christ but are not living according to them, you're not on team Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your Savior and as your shepherd? Are you following him? Do you belong to the flock of Jesus? When Jesus leads, do you follow? Or are you still following your own path through the world? Jesus is coming soon, and the time to get ready is now. And if you have never made an intentional, conscious, rational decision to follow Jesus, then I invite you to do that today. That choice, this is what makes it awkward, that choice requires that you recognize the sin and the error of your current path. You have to repent of that and say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to now follow the voice of my shepherd. If you're not following Jesus today, I'm going to invite you to follow him today. Hear his voice. Okay. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. And we thank you for sending this shepherd in the world to find us. Lord, we are sorry that we made it so difficult for you. But we thank you for your abiding love and mercy to us. Lord, give us ears to hear the voice of the shepherd. Give us hearts that are willing to turn away from our own ways and to follow the ways that Jesus is leading us into. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.